I am Chris Gardner of the Houston Round Ball Review. And joining me, taking time out of her busy, busy schedule, is Cindy Brunson from NBC Sports. She's a Phoenix Mercury. You see that on the screen, Phoenix Mercury play-by-play voice. But also, as I heard her say, to her credit, earlier this week at Big 12 Basketball Media Days, mm-hmm. Cindy Brunson, Pac-12 Network. Yes. How are you? Let's, <laughs> yes, let's talk about that first. We didn't get into the Mercury and everything else, but sure. how long have you been? Well, how are you, first of all? I'm really good, Chris. I'm so excited that we were able to connect. I've been a longtime fan. I'm a first-time caller here. Uh, read your stuff Welcome. all the time. Um, appreciate what you do, particularly in the women's collegiate basketball space. And I am super excited to be a part of this. So let's just touch on it. And and also, you are a Washington State alum. So this hits you in a lot of different, a few different levels. Mm-hmm. So let's yes. just back up a little bit. What are your thoughts on the breakup or the demise of the conference? It's heartbreaking, especially from the women's basketball perspective, because it is easily top to bottom, the best women's basketball conference in the country and has been since 2012. Agreed. In the last, in the last decade plus, we've put six different teams into the final four. That's impressive. I mean, that nobody else can say that. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, we have the one championship by Stanford to show for it. But the fact that just a few years ago, we had two Pac-12 teams fighting for the title in Arizona and Stanford speaks to the strength of this conference. And the fact that so much arrogance and, quite frankly, incompetence uh, behind the scenes regarding football let this conference get derailed is just a shame. It's just a heartbreaking shame. I mentioned this to a mutual colleague of ours, Michelle Smith. Mm. I used to watch the Pac-12 Networks when it was part of UVerse. Oh, yeah. So Friday, during conference play, my Friday nights were set in front of the TV watching women's basketball from the Pac-12. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not ashamed to say it. I look forward to it because of the games, the competition, the talent, everything. And then UVerse dropped the Pac-12 networks, and I was like, well, I don't have that much in my budget to go out and just buy whatever it was for just for the Pac-12 network. So I, And that's didn't. been a big problem, Chris, right? Distribution, the ability to get eyeballs on the product. Uh, it's been a huge stumbling block since I joined, um, first started calling games in 2014. It's um, really frustrating because... I think that's what helped crater the conference because we just couldn't prove how good we are mm-hmm. because people just couldn't find us. Well, this is the last season of the Pac-12 mm-hmm. as we as we know it. Right. So what's what's the vibe, the atmosphere for you, coworkers, everything? A lot of melancholy, a lot of what if, um, and a lot of hugs and hoping that the eyelash glue holds <laughs> because the eyes have gotten wet. Um, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be wild, but still on the court, it's going to be incredibly competitive. UCLA is going to lead the way followed by Utah. Stanford's going to be right there in the conversation. So is Colorado, Washington state ranked in a preseason top 25 poll for the first time in program history. We've got a half dozen teams already ready to make some noise 
at the very start of this season in just a couple weeks. Now, on a personal level for you, as a Washington State alum, oh. what, is, what is the vibe on campus about the Pac-2? We are united with Oregon State, which I love to see. And that was another reason I wanted to be front and center at Big 12 Media Day. I wanted to meet Commissioner Yormark. I wanted to get in front of him. And I wanted to stress to him, if he is going to talk the talk about being a women's basketball fan, then walk the walk. Bring in Oregon State and Washington State. In the Cougars, you have a defending Pac-12 tournament champion. And in the Beavers, you have a team that was one of those half dozen that has been to a Final Four. They did so in 2016. What Scott Ruick and Cami Etheridge have done to raise the bar of women's basketball, not only in the Pac-12, but nationally, deserves to be a part of the Big 12. What is your sense of it? Do you think it's going to happen? Most, last I heard, it wasn't going to happen. They weren't going to expand and add Wazoo and Oregon State. What, what is your sense? My sense is full of hope. <laughs> I just think it makes sense to bring those two schools in. If you really want to have coast-to-coast dominance, like Commissioner Yormark mentioned at mm-hmm. 12 Media Day, then including those two schools, folding them in, gives you that dominance. It checks every bit, uh, box, particularly in sports that aren't football, in women's basketball, in baseball. Oregon State is a recent NCAA champion in that sport. Uh, track and field, Washington State elite. These are two programs that while their student body isn't that big, they have punched above their weight for so long, they have turned themselves into legitimate power five schools. And to the recent four new members in the big 12, Washington State and Oregon State are much better academically and athletically across the board. Saying all that, then what do you? Th- what is the rationale? What have you heard? What have you been told? What has Wazoo been told, heard, Oregon State, for being excluded from Big 12 conversation, Big 10 conversation, any of the power conference conversation? For the Big 10, I heard it was academic prowess uh, was not ideal and also student body size and student body size knocked um, Washington State and Oregon State in Big 12 consideration. But then when I look at the four schools that your mark brought in, I went, hmm, I don't see gigantic football stadiums in every one of those schools. And uh, I get that football drives the bus, but look at what Oregon State is doing right now. Uh, Wazoo has lost two in a row, needs to get right. But Jonathan Smith has that thing rolling in Corvallis. So if you want a legit football team that can challenge for one of those 12 playoff spots that are coming down the road in college football, it would behoove the big 12 to bring Oregon state in. If it doesn't happen, Mm. what option, what is in your opinion, the next best, best option for the two programs? I think then we look toward the mountain West joining there And then that would be a scenario where both Oregon State and Washington State could look to win a lot of the prizes and hang a lot of banners because, as I said, they are Power 5 built. So they're ready to rock. As long as they can keep the NIL money churning and get the elite athletes coming to their campuses, uh, it could be a benefit for those two schools down the road. 
do you see the the option of I guess a reverse merger to keep the the Pac-12 name or mm-hmm. would they go into the Mountain West under the Mountain West name? I think they want to do it in reverse as you so uh pointed out that Pac-12 brand is remarkable and it has a hundred years of history associated with it, right? Wazoo has been in some form of the PAC 12 for 106 years. So if the presidents at Oregon state and Washington state can figure a way to bring the mountain West into the PAC 12 and keep that PAC 12 banner flying, that would be great. But that's not what I'm hearing as a likelihood to happen because of the exit fees Hmm. that come along with the mountain West. That's why San Diego State didn't leave the Mountain West to join the Pac-12. The exit fee was stout. Right. A year ago, 18 months ago, Mm -hmm. could you have envisioned this scenario of no Pac-12, 108 years of excellence? No. I mean, I was nervous when USC and UCLA said that they were going to the Big Ten. I knew that was problematic. And I knew at that point that Commissioner George Klyovkov needed to do what Brett Yormark did and cut in line, get that TV deal done. Because had the TV deal featuring linear options on ESPN or Fox or however it would look um, was there, then Colorado would have stayed. Colorado deciding to leave on Pac-12 Football Media Day in Las Vegas was the death knell. That's when I knew it was over. Because once Colorado and all of the juice that Deion Sanders has brought to Boulder was walking out the door, I knew it was a long road to keep that Pac-12 together. And everybody started scrambling for the lifeboats, right? Decided, okay, we'll go to the Big 12. The mountains, we're out. We're going to the Big 12. So, and then, you know, Oregon and Washington, the two crown jewels football-wise that were left to that point were in talks with the Big 10 as soon as they could dial it up on their cell phones after Colorado walked out on media day. Now, you can name names if you want to. I'm not asking you, I'm not putting you on the spot. (laughs) Who do you... Who do you blame? Who do you fault for the demise of the Pac-12? A group of people? One person? Who? Uh, I think it's a collective. It's it's the people in the room, right? It's the presidents and the commissioner. Uh, they didn't appreciate the sense of urgency. And I don't think they ever appreciated how important it was to have a TV deal. Um, there was management in place at Pac-12 Network um, someone was actually hired who had formerly worked at DirecTV. And I thought, okay, this is it. We're, we're finally going to get on DirecTV mm-hmm. so that we can get eyeballs on this amazing product beyond football. And when that didn't happen, 2016, 2017, I started to really get concerned for the future of the conference because that's what matters, right? right. Fans, as technology savvy as they profess to be, they don't want to be. They they want whatever is available on the cheapest cord cutting outlet, whether that's YouTube TV, whatever it is. They want it easy. And Pac-12, despite being down the road from YouTube TV and down the road from Google, went out of their way to make it as hard as possible, it seemed, to find the product. And, And that was so frustrating. For me personally, it was kind of awesome because I got to grow as a play-by-play voice in a vacuum. 
People weren't on me telling me I was terrible. I didn't get my self-esteem crushed like a bug. And so I was able to make my mistakes and take my lumps and grow kind of on an island. And now I'm enjoying the fruits of all of that hard work and all of those reps. Um, So for me personally, I hated that nobody could see the product, but it paid dividends for me. How long have you been in the media business in front of the camera? Ooh, in front of the camera, a long time. Longer than you've been around, Chris. <laughs> I'm not so sure about that, Cindy. You know, I'm older than I look, I'm happy to say. <laughs> so. I, know. I know, black don't crack. Um, <laughs> yep. I, uh, golly, 26 years now? Um, wow. Yeah, the bulk of it spent at ESPN. I was there for 13 mm-hmm. years hosting shows like Sports Center, First Take. That was really fun. That's where I met my husband, Steve okay. Rathum. He is the television play-by-play. Really? Man. Yes, for the Arizona Diamondbacks, which is why we left ESPN in 2013, uh, because he got his dream job. So we moved out to the Valley and it's been amazing. And I was very lucky at that point because I wanted to be Linda Cohn. I did not have any other plan than to be a studio host in Bristol, Connecticut. Um, But when my husband got his dream job, it was like, okay, well, now what? And then I thought, well, he's doing play by play. I can do that. So I made the pivot and it's been amazing. It's one of the best decisions I have ever made as a sportscaster being a play by play voice, especially when I get to do it for the Phoenix Mercury, where you can lean into a little Homerism a little bit is so much fun. I absolutely have a blast. Who are some of the folks you looked up to? Well, first who helped you get started in your career? In my television career? Yes. Uh, that would be Glenn Johnson at Washington State University, one of my favorite professors there at the Murrow College. And um, and this is back in the mid-90s, right? I'm asking him, I can do sports on television, right? Because there weren't many women doing sports right. on television. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he poured into me with so much confidence and so much, of course, yes, you can. Put your mind to it. Go do it. If somebody tells you no, you don't have to listen. Just keep doing you. (laughs) I was like, okay, I'm going to do that. And I graduated in 96. I got an internship at the KHQ NBC affiliate in Spokane, Washington. And I turned that internship into a job. Six weeks in, the weekend weather guy got hired away to Portland, Oregon. My news director came to me and asked me if I wanted to do weather. I asked her if she wanted to pay me. She said <laughs> yes. And I said, weather it is. Let's go. Um, and always oh, yeah. to incorporate a little sports into my weather cast. Like, oh, the Seahawks may be dealing with weather in Green Bay this weekend, whatever it was. Um, So that was really great. And I got to do news reporting and news anchoring. And I turned that job into a job in Portland, Oregon, that was created just for me, a weekend morning news host, where I asked to do my own sportscast in that two-hour program, rerunning the sportscast from the night before. And that was a fantastic experience. It was really cool. I absolutely love Portland. I'm so excited that it looks like they're going to get that second expansion WNBA franchise. It is a wonderful sports town. Um, And I was there for a year and a year to the day that my contract said I could start looking at network. I got a call from ESPN. So (laughs) good for you. Yeah. (laughs) Blind squirrel finds a nut. It's the story of my career. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it all works out for you. Yes. In your career. 
how many times or how many women have you seen in the career when you first started to now? How many has it grown exponentially, incrementally, still has a way to go? What do you think? Uh, I'll take your last two options incrementally and still has a long way to go. I think I'm finally getting to the point now. I have one mentee, Alexis Davis from LaChina Robinson's Rising Media Stars program, Mm -hmm. who is now pivoting, getting off of the I want to be a sideline person to I want to do play by play. She is my first mentee in that reign. So um, I think it's happening, uh, but I would like to see more. I was very pleased when NBC announced that it was hiring myself, Zora Stevenson and Sloan Martin to do play-by-play for Big Ten women's basketball this season. Because, mm-hmm. Yeah, because Richard Deitch, um, Sports Illustrated, athletic fame, um, said this is great because this is an opportunity for women to get more reps. You get more reps, you get better, you get stronger, you learn your play-by-play identity. Um And it just shows more people in that space and what's possible. And so I'm very proud and privileged to be a part of that way that can be the example for the next generation. Excellent. Another reason to watch Big Ten basketball. Well, let's get into some hoops, some on-court stuff we touched on a little bit. Okay. Let's go. Well, right there, Big Ten, Caitlin Clark, Iowa, your thoughts on her, her popularity explosion, (laughs) Everything about her. What are your thoughts on Caitlin Clark? Caitlin Clark is the real deal. She is so media savvy and she wants to be the best player on the floor at all times. I'm very curious to see with NIL and all of the distractions that could weigh her down, Mm -hmm. how she's going to continue to elevate her game continue to impress, continue to lead, because I think that's going to be the particular challenge for this generation of Hoopers, right? Diana Taurasi didn't have NIL to worry about. Sabrina Ionescu didn't have NIL to worry about. They could just stay in the gym, and that's all that mattered. Now where I'm reading, Angel Reese isn't even going to class because she says it's a big deal, so she's doing everything online. So how is that impacting her at LSU and the growth of her game? I see the media day pictures from LSU. I see a lot of bling, which I love because I love me a shiny diamond. But what kind of bar are these student athletes setting for themselves? Because you need money to have that kind of life. And that is not existing in current WNBA contracts, right? So how is that lifestyle going to be sustained? And is it a lifestyle that's, being curated for not just today, but for the long term. Angel in particular is running to generational wealth, right? With the new Reebok deal. Um, Who's helping her? Is she getting help from a financial planning standpoint so that when her playing days are over, she's set for life as is her family? Let's see. uh, Pac-12. Yes. We touched, you touched on a little bit. I thought about this. I spoke on it a few times in previous podcasts. The realignment changes is football dominated. Mm-hmm. For the longest time in my mind, I was like, what is going to happen to Stanford women's basketball? <laughs> They're going to go dominate the ACC now. <laughs> 
Tara Vanderveer is going to take her winningest coach in every category ever and play for free, basically, in the ACC, right? That was the deal that Cal and Stanford struck. We just want to be involved in football, mm-hmm. men's basketball, and women's basketball. And the rest of the Olympic sports can just figure it out. All right. Um, but now Stanford can be the big dog again in the ACC. They were the big dog forever. They were the tent pole program for women's yes. basketball in on the West Coast and particularly in the Pac-12 for years until the Pac-12 said, you know what? They don't have to be the only one. And it became iron sharpening iron and the coaches agreeing, we're going to schedule tougher. We're going to schedule non-conference tougher. And we are going to punch and scratch and claw and grind and make this conference better. The stronger we schedule at the time, it was all about RPI, right? Mm -hmm. Get our RPI up, get noticed by the NCAA tournament selection committee and really put this conference on the map. And so Stanford's just going to take that blueprint and move it to the ACC and really enjoy dominating that conference because that's what Tara does. And one of the things that the the Pac-12 coaches said they really benefited from the Pac-12 networks mm-hmm. because the players could watch them, the West Coast players, because for years, yes. West Coast players left, went to the East Coast or went to Texas or wherever. They did not stay on the West Coast. Right, which is a crime. Think yes. about Juju not playing at USC. Are you kidding me? Like, what? So now she's at USC and Lindsey Gottlieb has that thing rolling and, you know, they're ranked as a team to watch preseason top 25. I mean... I hate that the conference is going away, but the quality of basketball being played by every single member school is not going to be diminished. Well, I got a question for you. Okay, you're, you're going to call Big Ten women's basketball yes. this season. Mm-hmm. What, what are you going to do next season? Because, you know, I'm in the Big 12 now. My Houston team's in the Big 12. What are you going to do? Well, I'm looking to pivot. Uh, very grateful for that NBC opportunity, a smattering of games this season, and then it will grow next season as uh, the West Coast schools are incorporated. I'll probably stay West Coast a little bit more. I envision. I don't know. I haven't been told that, but that just makes sense since I'm located in Phoenix. Um, and then I hope to incorporate some Big 12 coverage. That was a reason why I took myself to Kansas City. Well, that and my sister from another mister, Cheryl Swoops, was there working for ESPN, so it was a great chance to see her and catch up. But um, yeah, I would like to make that pivot as well and follow the mountain schools and the desert schools to the Big 12 and continue to cover those teams and those storylines because I have great relationships built up with, you know, Coach Lynn Roberts and J.R. Payne and Adia Barnes and even new head coach Natasha Adair. We are two peas in a pod. So I want to continue to cover those programs and watch their success because everybody is going to be a headache to play. And it won't be. Now, the Big 12 has always been Baylor and Texas and everybody else, right? That's kind of in the vibe. Well, we know Texas is leaving. So that leaves Baylor and Baylor is not going to be the best team next year. It's going to be. I, I agree. I it's agree with you. It's going to be Arizona. Arizona State is coming. Mark it down with a Sharpie. So I think those four schools are going to dominate a lot of the activity because they've been doing it. Mm-hmm. They're just doing it in a different space. That's one thing. Boy, I don't want to say it, but I'm going to say it because it's this is my podcast. Yeah. With the four schools coming in next season, it's going to be even harder for Houston women's basketball 
to rise up the ladder in the Big 12. That's true. That's really true. But I think what the Big 12 um, moving forward needs to do is what the Pac-10 and 12 did a decade ago. And that's get together as a group, as a coaching collective and say, this is how we're going to schedule. This is what we're going to do. It has to be we got to develop scar tissue. You got to know what it's like. You got to feel the pain of what it takes to win. And if we do that as a group, then as a group, our conference is going to get more slots in the NCAA tournament. And I think that's a very doable option because there are great schools in that conference. There's no excuse for your beloved Houston to not be good in women's basketball. Look what Samson is doing with the men's team. Right. So, it's all right there. You just got to go take it. You and Cheryl Swoops. Yes. Do y'all have any, do you, you work together with Cheryl in any, any collaborations? Uh, we are uh, two seasons into Athletes Unlimited Pro Women's Basketball. That was our first working experience together. Um, and that's a group of women led by Natasha Cloud, Sydney Colson, folks like that, Lexi Brown, uh, that decided Women's basketball needed another professional outlet here in the United States. Uh, and AU Sports, led by Jonathan Soros and John Patrickoff, have been fantastic. Kevin Durant is an investor. And it's an opportunity to ramp up for the WNBA season and play hoop here in the United States and have your friends and family be able to watch. And it's always in one location. Year one, we were in Las Vegas. Year two, Dallas. Not quite sure where we're going to be for year three. Um, But that has been uh, a great chance for me to not only get to know Cheryl better, but to work alongside. She is an excellent analyst. And for me as a fan growing up and loving her, watching her on the floor, she was Michael Jordan to me. I it yes. just mm-hmm. watching her drop 47 for Texas Tech in the national championship game to win the school's only title. I literally almost transferred to Lubbock because I thought that was the center of the women's basketball universe. So to be able to work with her has been an absolute delight. I'm not sure I ever told her this, I, you know, covering her when she was with the Comets. Yeah. But the first time I saw her play was she was at Texas Tech, mm-hmm. was in the Southwest Conference. I think it was. Yeah. Southwest Conference yeah. tournament in Dallas. And it was on my birthday. Oh. So March 14th. Watch so, so she set a reunion arena scoring record on my birthday. <laughs> so. Wow. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what it was. And I was like, yeah, that's the first time I saw Cheryl Swoops in person. Obviously, I, I'd heard about her, but yep. seeing her in person was something something different. So I need to let her know that because, you know, I don't want her to, you know, Cheryl and I are, are very are close, but she right. thinks sometimes that, you know, what Chris, you're just saying that. No, no, no. The first time I saw her was yeah. on my birthday years ago. Do you remember the number she had? Whatever they were. Reunion 40 something. I don't know what it was. I don't believe it was 47, but it was I bet it was, it was up there. Yeah, yeah, it was up there. Yeah. No, she could fill it up. She was so good off the bounce and yeah. so good with her court vision, right? If you know, because she would get double and triple teamed all the time. So her passing ability was elite because she could pass out of trouble and find mm-hmm. an open teammate. And then what I really appreciated about her was her defense. I mean, oh, yes. she enjoyed the live ball turnover, not just getting the steal, but getting the finish at the other end. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so to be that total package and complete player, I hope and pray that young hoopers today grab their you know laptop and look at YouTube videos of her because she did it the right way. Let's talk Phoenix, Phoenix Mercury. Okay. Mercury made a hire today, made it official at the press conference. Yeah. Your thoughts on it and your thoughts on the new owner. Well, not, Matt's been around for a few months now, but how he's transformed the Mercury and the Suns organization. All right. Well, let's start with Matt Ishbia, new owner of the Mercury and Suns. To his absolute credit, from the first time he stepped in front of Phoenix media, he always says, I am the owner of the Mercury and the Suns. He never says just the Suns. He never talks about just the NBA team. He always talks in tandem with both teams. And that is refreshing to hear considering his predecessor. Yes. So yay for you, Matt. He is also a human ATM. He wants to win championships yesterday and he does not care what it costs. And he wants both Phoenix organizations, the Suns and the Mercury, to be the best in their respective NBA and WNBA leagues. To that point, he got out his checkbook or opened his ATM to bring in Kevin Durant and Bradley Bill for the Suns. On the women's side, when he heard that the Aces had built a 65,000 square foot practice facility, he said, you know what? I'm going to build the Mercury, a 100,000 square foot practice facility, put it right downtown and build some new executive offices with it as well. Um, so the, and this is just not even two years after the completion of a prior practice facility that the Suns and Mercury were sharing. Ishbia said, no, that's not good enough. We'll leave the smaller one to the men and we'll build the women a brand new one. Really? Okay. Wow. Remarkable. So love that. Uh, he walked into a situation where there was a coach in Vanessa Nygaard and she didn't survive the season. She was replaced by interim head coach, Nikki Blue. Now this was a difficult season for the Mercury on one really big front. And that was the return of Brittany Griner right. because we just didn't know what BG was going to do or shoot, if she should even be playing, you know, there was just this hesitancy of take care of yourself. You've mm -hmm. been so much, but then there was also the joy element of it, which she just totally leaned into of wanting to give back to the fans who she feels with every fiber of her being helped her get home. Mm -hmm. That in conjunction with her wife, Sherelle, who fought tooth and nail to get in front of President Biden and really, you know, rattle the sabers. Um, it was amazing. So there was always that kind of weight of is BG ready? Can she help the team? We don't want to make her play too many minutes. And then it got to a point of, oh, we really need BG to play a lot because we just don't have enough pieces here. Um, and then health became a concern. And then it was mental health for BG. I thought Nikki Blue did an amazing job as interim head coach. When she had Diana and BG healthy and Sophie contributing, the team won. Mm -hmm. She won seven games at home and they were good. It was when injuries started to pile up and then BG needed to take mental health days, which was totally understandable. But when you don't have one of the best centers in the world on the floor, that's going to be a tough road to hoe. So season ends and I was hoping and praying for Nikki to get their job. I thought she did a great job of holding things together and still finding joy in the wins. She created new locker room celebrations and you would never know Chris that the team had only won nine games. The body language was awesome. 
Nobody was hanging their head. No shoulders were drooping. It was really remarkable to see. And the effort was there. There was always like a five-minute span that just proved to be the death knell for mm-hmm. Phoenix. Every single game, it seemed like, especially toward the end. Um, and without those five minutes, they were right there. They were scaring teams that were going to the playoffs. It was it was wild. So season ends. Um, it was the worst season uh, since 2012 when – Penny Taylor tore an ACL and Diana only played eight games. And Ishbia said, I'm searching for a new head coach. And I'm looking to the NBA and to men's college basketball. And he was very definitive in that. He didn't waver when, you know, reporters were like, well, what about, you know, Therese Weatherspoon? What about, he's like, I am not concerned with the necessity to have a former WNBA player. I want what's going to fit for this organization. It will come from the NBA or men's college basketball. And that is exactly what transpired. So for everybody at home wringing their hands, the guy's a man of his word. And he has also said he will do whatever it takes to win. He will pay whatever it takes in free agency. He will do whatever it takes to even upgrade the hotels that his players stay in. Like he is doing the right things. So um, he has tapped Tibbetts and Nick Uren, the new general manager. Um, it was a quick call for him. In fact, as soon as Uren, I found out today, was hired, one of the first calls he made was to the new Mercury head coach. Um, oh, okay. It was a coaching search before they had a relationship from before when Uren was at the Warriors. So, um, so yeah, he, that that was his guy, um, and I don't think Nikki could have done anything more than she did because the GM already had his guy, and and the blessing of the owner. So who already said we're going NBA or men's college basketball? So I sit back as a women's college basketball fan, and I think, well, if you had to have a man, Kelly Graves at Oregon, Scott Rulick no. Oregon State, you know men that have proven not only that they know what WNBA talent looks like, Oregon, hello, three first round draft picks, but um, in that one class alone, um, but they've, they've proven in that women's space. And I think that was the big question mark for Mercury fans. And I totally get that. I completely understand it. Um, But they're putting a lot of the right people around him. I think, especially with assistant GM, Monica Wright Rogers. She is a winner from Minnesota. She's got championships on her resume. She is one of the top 25 players in Lynx history all time and celebrated this past season as such. So she's in that room and she is going to be a vital voice as far as player evaluation goes and how the pieces fit and how the WNBA works, right? You got to work around the foreign play. You got to work around 24, the Olympic play for a variety of teams, right? Not just Team USA. You've got to acknowledge Belgium and whoever the other players might be playing for. In addition, it'll be the year of the All-Star Game returning to Phoenix. So um, there's going to be a lot to navigate. And I think the new head coach in Phoenix has the right support, particularly in Monica, to have success. Look into your crystal ball, Miss Cindy <laughs> Brunson. Yes. Who? Which four teams 
do you see reaching the Final Four, the women's Final Four in Cleveland in 2024? Cleveland, snow, April. Got it. Um, (laughs) One of my friends already told me she's not going because it's in Cleveland. Right? I'm just like, come on, people. It will be in Phoenix in 2026, and it will be sunny. You can mark that down with a Sharpie. Um, Yeah, I'm going to say Utah, UCLA. Hmm. I'm going to say LSU. And I think Ohio State. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Okay. First blush. I haven't seen anybody play, right? I don't right, know right. pieces will fit together at LSU. Very excited to see Haley Van Lith at the point guard position. Because mm-hmm. uh, you just don't roll out of bed and play point guard. Like, you got to right. be built for it. It's got to be a part of your DNA. Like, one of the best point guards I have ever seen play is Skylar Diggins-Smith. Mm-hmm. You look at when she first came into the league and got knocked around her rookie year, right? She came back year two and has been the point guard ever since. Six-time All-Star, an Olympic gold medalist. I mean, she is, I can't tell you how many young women I see in the college game. You know, who's your favorite point guard? Who's your favorite guard? Who do you model yourself after? And nine times out of ten, Skylar Diggins-Smith. It's really cool. It was such a joy to cover her last season. Uh, one of the best guards I've ever seen play in the WNBA. I got to say, Cindy, I, I noticed you did not go with probably majority of folks would go. You did not say UConn as one of your four. They didn't, because I don't know how healthy those guys are. They say Paige has been cleared. Mm-hmm. If Paige and Fudd are 100%, I like UConn. But I got to see him play. Understood. I know what Ohio State has, and I know what Utah and UCLA in particularly have. Mm-hmm. Um, LSU, I, I'm not going to not put the defending champs in there because they're built for this, right? They gave Mulkey all of that money. They backed up the Bryce truck to say, right, hey, right. run it back. You know? <laughs> so um, I like the pieces she's got. Uh, so, yeah. Um, UConn, I need to see. I need to see that. Invite me back in a month. Let me let's let's play a few games, month and a half. Oh, in fact, you know, invite me back. League play, league play. Let's let's look back at it because that's when in, you know. Invitation you, has has been extended. You got it. So we will do that when league play. It. Excellent. You know, I try to help myself. Like hey, I was going to ask you anyway. I was going to put you on the spot anyway in a, in a minute anyhow. So you'd already beat me to the punch. That's fine. Yeah, no, and I think it's good for women's basketball, for UConn to be a part of the conversation because they're so polarizing, right? People either love the Huskies or they just can't stand them. Um, And I love that. I love that about Gino. And he just wears it. He does not care. He understands that everywhere they go, it's a circus. Mm -hmm. And he is just the grand marshal of all of that, right? He's just like, yeah, that's what we do. That's how we do it. All right. Got a few more question i'm going to toss out to you some sure. team names for you yes as maybe you see them possibly making because you didn't say iowa i did not you didn't say texas no you didn't say tennessee no either one of those three you think have a chance to get to cleveland uh texas probably has the best chance because of Harmon. Mm-hmm. um rory is special Oh my goodness gracious. 
Tennessee. I need to see what the new group looks like oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. and how they play together. That's there's a lot of question marks there. And who was the other team? Iowa. Iowa. Uh, it was funny. At times, they look like world beaters, right? First of all, shout out to Iowa. 55,600 yes. fans. Holy free holies. Kinnick Stadium was rocking. That was so special. My eyes were wet. I'm texting Christy Winterscott. This is beautiful. Oh, my gosh. This is so amazing. Um, and the fact that they were intentional about that. You know, yes. Coach Bluter got together with Clark, and they're like, we got to do something. We got to do something that just has not been done before. And they found a way, and they got it done. So that was just beautiful and amazing. Um, but what I saw that day in addition to the amazing scene and the wave to the hospital and all of it was a DePaul team that doesn't have that much expectations going into this season, push that Iowa team in stretches. Mm -hmm. And I didn't think in an exhibition style uh, that that should have happened. I thought if Iowa was going to be a team that was going to challenge for Cleveland, that the hammer should have been thrown down and that the win should have been by 30. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And and DePaul made a couple of different runs in each half that was very impressive. When those three-point shots were falling, I was like, okay, Blue Demons. Um, and defensively, Iowa really didn't have an answer for that. So um, that's that's why I hesitate with, with Caitlin Clark and Iowa. Well, well, you know, Iowa's defense is the issue. I mean, it has been for, yeah. Yeah, you said that out loud. <laughs> Sorry, Iowa fans, but I think you agree with me on that. <laughs> you know, yeah, especially in terms true. of the championship. Yeah. Look, I, I call games for the Mercury. That's the knock on them, right? They right. always score more. As long as they can score more, they're going to win. Um, but at, at certain points, you got to lock somebody down. Um, and and I, I didn't see that capability like I had hoped to see it from Iowa in that one instance. Again, that can change. We'll discuss again in January. <laughs> Fair enough. Wrapping it up with you. Cindy Brunson, what advice would you give young ladies who would like to follow in your footsteps? Do it, please. I would be happy to pass the baton to you. I would say learn the sport that you like the least because that will probably be the opportunity that you will get to call games first in, whether it's lacrosse or water polo. Something that, you know, isn't your absolute love, but thanks to that handy dandy little computer that you carry around in your pocket that is called a cell phone, you can learn about anything you want and you can master it and get opportunities that way. There are tons of opportunities to do play by play in a sport like minor league baseball. They are chomping at the bit to hire, you know, young people with not much experience because you're not expensive at that point. Right. So it's a cost-effective way to continue to fill the positions, and it's a great opportunity. And I will also add, anytime that you can get a rep in, it is a step. Every time you put that headset on and put that microphone in front of your face, you have an opportunity to grow as a broadcaster and grow as a human being. Take that opportunity and run with it. Excellent. Thank you oh, and I will, I will also add... For all the women out there, no is a complete sentence. The word no is a complete sentence. If it doesn't feel right, if you don't want to do it, 
You don't have to do it. Be sure and find something that you are comfortable with. As you push yourself to do something outside of what you thought you would do, trust your gut. If it really isn't meant for you, your gut will tell you. Excellent, excellent. I, I have one other question, but I'll save it till January. No, 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 fire away, Chris. Come on. Okay, come on. okay fair, because I, I, I don't, I, I phrase it when I spoke with Brooke Weisbrod mm-hmm. and other women in the industry. Society is not advanced as we would like it to be. Yes. On a lot of fronts. <laughs> in, in your career, how did you navigate or still navigating the discrimination factor of it? Oh, she's a woman. Women don't know sports or, you know, all of that drama that you as a female in this industry, I, I have never experienced that part of it. I don't, you know, mm-hmm. I ask about it. So I'm just asking you to explain what you had to go through to get to this point in your career. I have always had to be so good. There could be no doubt period. Mm-hmm. And that good for me is prepared beyond <laughs> the pale. Um, my husband today still marvel. He's like, you're doing too much. Why are you doing that? You don't need to know that. Like, yes, I do. I need to do this. Um, to be, you know, one of the first people to arrive for me in a gym, um, to be one of the last people to leave, to be good to everybody you encounter. Everybody on the crew, everybody in the Phoenix area knows me. Um, and in Tucson, too, I'm the person that'll bring the donuts or the cookies, just the little things mm-hmm. that, you know, a thank you, because I know it's not just me. I'm just one piece of the puzzle. I may be the most visible or the one that you hear from the most, but I'm just one piece in the whole entire process. And so to always take the time to celebrate those who are working alongside and behind the scenes with you is super important. I would also say if folks are still in school to take disciplines that show you both sides of the camera, um, if you want to be front facing, that's great, but there are so many holes to fill behind the scenes as well. I have only worked with two female directors in my 25 years. Wow. Two, two, that's not enough. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, a handful of producers, several really good ones at ESPN, a um, couple of whom have moved on to like the NFL network and whatnot. But um, yeah, so think about positions behind the camera as well, because we still need to fill up a lot of that space too. And then I have always just believed in myself and you cannot, as much as you want to look at social media, don't. (laughs) It doesn't matter because the one thing that will stick to you is that person who's anonymous, probably living in their mother's basement, who says something really cruddy and it will stay with you. Um, And so if you do look at social media, don't carry that baggage, man, just put it down and walk away. Um, Don't let other people have power over you like that. Uh, And for me, I'm, you'll see, I post when I'm at something, when I'm doing something, I don't just wake up and go, Hey, I think I'm just going to post about how great I like this necklace today. I'm I'm not that person. I'm not that social media person. But if I'm at an event, like I was this morning with the introduction of the new head coach for the Mercury, I'll get on social media, I will post it. And then I will put the phone down. 
Um, I think engaging with people and in life uh, will help you as a broadcaster too, because your little anecdotes of what you did in the coach's office or who you ran into walking into the arena happen when your head is up and not down looking into a phone. Excellent advice. I knew I had a, I had a good vibe. This is going to be a good one. It was. It, it exceeded my <laughs> that's expectations. You, that's all you, Chris. I'm just a blind squirrel who finds nuts. <laughs> so, I mean, this was great. Um, this is another reason I, I've told some of my younger colleagues, go to the media days because you never know who you're going to meet in person. Yes, that's true. I find them very valuable. And you get so much one-on-one time mm-hmm. with the coaches and players. And that is worth its weight in gold. Agreed. And so thank you once again. I'm glad we got to meet and connect. Mm -hmm. Thank you for taking time today to make this happen. And we will throughout this season, keep in touch, hopefully. And I'll see you in January for sure. And then come tournament time, who knows where we, our paths may cross. Oh, I can't wait. Thanks so much, Chris. Thank you. Take care. You too.